I'm Isabel Allen, Editor of Architecture Today, and this is 80 Conversations with Inevidesk. And I'm joined today by Katrina Stewart, an architect and one of the founders of Office S&M, and Owen Hopkins, who's a curator, writer and historian, and also the director of the Farrell Centre at Newcastle University. And we're here today to talk about um, multiform. And Owen, I'm going to go to you first because you've been very... um, very articulate about multiform and what it is and why it's of the moment. So can you very quickly explain why you think it's so interesting and how you would define it? Well, I hope I can be as articulate as you've uh, just suggested I might be. Um, Well, multiform is is lots of different things. It literally takes multiple forms. But to give you a a very uh, short sort of summary of where it came from, it was uh, really a kind of observation of a trend in contemporary architecture of architects looking again at how colour, pattern, bold forms, ornamentation might be used uh, in their work. And my interest was kind of trying to provide a framework for this tendency which is found in lots of different architects working lots of different settings. And that's really where multi-form came from. It's, It's a kind of a grounding of this what one could say is an aesthetic or even stylistic tendency in the broader uh, political, social, economic, technological situation that we find ourselves in today. So I think it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it, when you decide to define something as part of a movement or a trend and when you don't, especially when it's something which by definition is disparate um and I suppose Katrina going to you I mean your practice has now been kind of touted as being part of this movement is that a bit of a surprise to you did you just think you were being incredibly original and doing your own thing (laughs) I think um it's quite interesting because a lot of the a lot of the other um uh, architects and artists who have been included um, many of them we have actually studied with (laughs) at some point or have other connections with so, for example, Graham from Mutt um, and then also Matt uh, from Cannes. Um, we did our first project um, for Adam Nathaniel Furman uh, when we were contributing to his um, uh, saturated space platform. Do you, do you see fat as a very conscious inspiration or not really? I think we were very aware of fat as students. Um, So both me and Hugh um, studied together uh, at the Bartlett and we were very aware of of their work and Hugh actually uh, went to work for them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we we admire and have, you know, have always admired um, the work that they did and also continue to do within uh, their individual practices now. Yes, we, we, we certainly are aware that, um, you know, we have, we have things in common. So I think over the years, yeah, there have been, they've been kind of lots of connections between, between the practices and we've all, you know, been aware of each other, I think. Well, so there's a zeitgeist at work, isn't there, clearly. Is it a kind of almost uh, determinedly optimistic response to this kind of rather terrifying political and social climate we find ourselves in? Well, I think it is optimistic. I mean, architecture is an inherently optimistic pursuit because it is about the future, you know, building you build for the present, but with the idea that it will last 
hopefully uh, several decades at, at the very least. So yes, that's that's inherent in in it, of course. But I think it's also um, an attempt to you know to, to to grapple with that situation as you suggested, but also to be productive in it as well. It's not a kind of a shying away and saying it with a kind of you know, hair shirt morality that we must stop building straight away because of the, uh, the the climate emergency. Of course, that's something we can't ignore and every architect should have it at the forefront of their mind. But there are, I think, more interesting ways of engaging with the climate emergency. Uh, the uh, title of the essay that Katrina and Hugh wrote for the uh, issue of architectural design that, that sort of announces multi-forms called More With Less. And I think that's a classic multi-form position because it's a kind of have your cake and eat it too uh, position it's saying yes we need to uh, be more uh, economical with materials that we should look at reuse but we can also at the same time think about how we can be more productive whether that and that's not necessarily in creating more carbon but in, in a kind of cultural sphere as well which is obviously you know, where, oper- where, where, where architecture operates and exists. But I think um, engaging is a really key word there, isn't it? And, um, you know, it's often said about postmodernism as though it were a bad thing, that it was kind of populist and popular. Um, I noticed, Katrina, from your website that you talk about, you don't actually use the term multiform, but you talk about your work as being very much engaged in this kind of collaborative process and throwing out ideas and narratives that clients can play with and enjoy. Um, So I suppose going back to this kind of trying to formalise a movement, is there something about it which is about a sort of grassroots, almost claiming about that very, very direct relationship between architect and client and not worrying too much about the, the serious academic issues that we're all meant to be engaged with? There's definitely, um, I think as a practice, we're very interested in narratives um, and whether that be narratives uh, that are, you know, about the client and kind of stories and habits. um, And um, I suppose their kind of history and past or whether that be narratives about the site and context. So I think both both Hugh and I are avid collectors, and often when we when we first start a project, um, we we do a really kind of in depth analysis of of the kind of context and the place and you know where where the site is uh, and the history of of the site. But we also go around kind of collecting um, little kind of stories or motifs or um, I suppose collecting the best bits of kind of history. Um, that we kind of that we I suppose then uh, use to uh, as design tools uh, within within the projects. And do you think, Katrina, that there is a limit in terms of scale? I know that you're working on, for example, in Harmony, which is quite a large scale master plan, isn't it? And I can see that your work is you know, utterly delightful at a kind of small scale but I started thinking about a master plan and you slightly think my god there's something a little bit kind of Truman show isn't there about the idea of trying to make a whole big development that's kind of playful and surprising and all that sort of stuff I mean do you struggle with that do you think there's a scale at which you're just going to have to develop a different language or do you think it can scale up yeah I mean I think I think every project is different 
Um, and we work at multiple scales, but of course we are, you know, we're a small practice. Um, there's four of us. So we, you know, we are just starting to do kind of, I suppose, multi-unit uh, residential um, um, schemes. Um, but yeah, I mean, every every project is different and every every site has different uh, kind of, you know, particularities to them. Um, but I think it is something, it is something that we can, um, I suppose we, we use certain tools, I suppose, with every, with every project. Um, and, you know, even at a kind of master plan, uh, scale, those, those tools can, can still exist. I think, you know, talking about, um, reducing waste and, um, an approach to kind of materiality and, um, an approach to, you know, building in a more kind of efficient way, I suppose, is something that, you know, we can use at a kind of master plan level as well. But also, you know, every every place has its kind of history and its stories and its narratives. And I think, you know, at all scales that those things should be celebrated and, um, and yeah, used, I suppose. This is 80 Conversations with an Everdesk, making powerful, affordable virtual desktops a reality. So we still feel quite uh, young as a practice, although we have we have kind of been around been around for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose we we're we're at a stage where we are starting to work on uh, larger scale projects, and um, but it doesn't yeah it hasn't changed our approach to projects. We still want to you know, celebrate the place, celebrate the people who. Um, will be living <laughs> or uh, working or using the spaces. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think that's kind of changed. And do you think there's a sense that this is the last throes of a kind of pre-digital age? I know that Owen talked about the fact that most sort of multiform practitioners of a generation where they've kind of got one foot in more traditional ways of making space and buildings and one foot in this sort of age of Zoom and Instagram and 3D modelling and whatever whatever unknowns ahead of us. Um, now, I read that as, you know, there will almost come a time when if you're kind of trying to tell stories and pictures and make big impressions, there's absolutely no point doing it in three dimensions because actually that's going to be secondary. Is that an accurate reading of what you meant by that, Owen? Uh, yes and no. I mean, <clears throat> I, I see... Multiform actually is the beginning of something. Um, you know, I look thinking about you know, all these kind of moments of change and transition that I think we're undoubtedly in. You look at the sort of architectural manifestations of that. You look at postmodernism. You look at modernism. Those early moments, so say nineteen twenties or nine or nineteen seventies um, for you know, modernism and postmodernism respectively. You know, they are. Uh, you know, go back to postmodernism 50 years ago, modernism 50 years before then. It's kind of time now <laughs> for, mm. for something new. And you know, multiform is something that is, that is a, you know, an active um, exploration of what this moment uh, of, of transition means. And, one, and you know, as you say, one of the fundamental parts of it is this uh, increasing blurring between the physical and digital realms, which is a cliche to say that the pandemic has accelerated things because, you know, but, but it actually has in this, in this situation. So, 
Um, I'm not, I'm not, no one really knows what's going to come next. I'm not really in the business of uh, predictions necessarily, but I think it's inevitable that, that there will be this continual blurring of the physical and digital. And I think the, 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 the multi-form generation, the multi-formers are uniquely placed to articulate that architecturally because of this sort of one, one foot in both camps. You know, I can certainly remember getting my first mobile phone the students that I'm teaching now cannot remember. Uh, we're not alive in a world without mobile phones. So there is definitely a, a, a decisive break. But I think, as I say, it's, it points to not, not the end of something, but a transition to something new. And it's up to us really to articulate what that something new might be architecturally. And, and how, in your mind, apart from the fact that we obviously have a different context, how is it different from postmodernism? People are sort of talking about a neo-postmodernism, and I have to say I'm not a historian, and to me the distinction between neo and post is not totally clear. Can you cast any light on that? Well, I suppose it would be a, quite a postmodern thing to do, to have a sort of neo-postmodernism. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a kind of contradiction in terms. Yes, I mean, there there is, a, a sort of, I guess, a slightly antagonistic um position that some adopt against multi-form because of the legacy or perceived legacy of postmodernism and the sort of commercialization um, of uh, of that movement in the 1980s but I think the the connections are, are are rather deeper and actually rather more subtle and if there is a connection it's to that earlier radical moment of postmodernism when it truly was a sort of oppositional and uh, and and quite powerful attempt to reconnect architecture with things that we now take for granted, like context, place, history, memory, identity. That that, that modernism had sort of had not ignored, but it uh, had privileged um, other things. And I think there is an equivalent sense that you know postmodernism then was an, you know an attempt to make sense of a world in transition. And if Multiform looks to similar design tactics. It is because of that same um, that's, that same desire to to make sense of what is happening right now, rather than necessarily, you know, being influenced by particular design tropes that are, that are associated with postmodernism. And uh, Katrina, do you think that that pedigree and that sort of um, intellectual framing has any resonance or bearing on your commercial survival so when clients come to you does it help that you can be like where's articles written about us and look we're part of this very fashionable movement or is it totally irrelevant I think you know especially things like you know social media and being you know I suppose quite present on uh, online or quite visible online I think has um, an impact on on um on yeah, I suppose why clients would maybe first um, contact us, um, but I don't think I I don't think it's that direct. I'm not sure they're kind of they get in touch through through that if that makes sense. So you're not they don't want an intellectual or academic discussion about the history of architecture <laughs> and the evolution of style wars and its relationship to 21st century modernity. <laughs> You just point um, <laughs> <laughs> They just want a nice pink kitchen. 
I think it, I, I mean, I think it's different conversations, you know, with different, uh, different clients and um, also different, um, you know, we, we, half of our work is kind of um, in the public uh, realm. So working with public clients and half is uh, with private clients. So it, the, they're very different conversations with, you know, um, that we have with each of those kind of groups, I suppose. And do you, th- I mean, I've got to say what I love about multiform is, is just it's exuberance and it's joyfulness and you know it it just cheers me up that it exists and it's out there um is there a downbeat version could you do a sort of a serious rather uh could you explore things like the uncanny that's a great concept in architecture isn't it through the prism of multiform or do you think it's inherently sort of nicely straightforward and jolly multiform takes multiple forms so there is obviously this, as you describe, the the bold, joyful, exuberant aspect to it, which is one of its most striking characteristics, and you know why it is so popular. And I and I think coming back to the question you, you just asked, Katrina, I, you know that these things photograph really well, and we shouldn't be um, ashamed to say that. Um, that's one of the ways that architecture can can reach the public and can can elevate a public discussion about architecture. But yeah, for a kind of counterpoint, a sort of slightly more somber, downbeat uh, form of form of multi-form. You know, well, in the in the AD, you know, one of the architects who who contributes to it, uh, Amin Taha from Group Work, you know, is is not known for designing in 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 bright colours but has an approach which is, I think, you know, very close to that multi-form mm. uh, sensibility that, that we try to, try to articulate in, in the AD. You know, and it, it, you know, we're very clear that it's not a style. It's, it's an outlook. It's, it's, a, it's a sensibility. It's a way of making sense of this stylistic confusion that we see on social media and you know, the ever-burgeoning complexity uh, of of the contemporary world and that sensibility manifests in different ways sometimes that is bright colors and patterns but other times it's it's very very different it, it is more somber it is more muted but it is still tailored to the particular situation so the stuff you're doing at the Farrell Centre is that sort of like an architecture centre but linked to Newcastle and the uni yeah, that's right. <clears throat> so it is a public centre for architecture and cities, which the university, the Newcastle University, is is creating. That has been um, instigated by Terry Farrell uh, in two ways. He's given his practice archive to the university as a resource for research. So it's this kind of most extraordinary thing to yeah. to have and 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 and. It, uh, the, 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 you know, we hope will will be kind of mined by generations of of scholars, and the other part of it is the centre itself, which also comes from Terry in a way, because in the Farrell review, one of his key recommendations was that towns and cities should have a place where the public could go and uh, find out about the city, understand its evolution, and and get a stake in its future. So that's what the, the, the Farrell Centre will be. It'll be sort of slightly separate from the archive, although we will have a continual dialogue with it where we will uh, investigate 
local issues, offer a platform for, for local people, and at the same time, hopefully contribute to a much broader national, international debate about the future of architecture and cities. And uh, who knows, multi-form might play a part in that. And the city will certainly be a much more exciting and vibrant place if it does. Owen, Katrina, thank you very much for joining me today. You've been listening to 80 Conversations with Inevidesk. To subscribe, visit architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Podcasts.